0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing?
1: Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week, we're going to be interviewing Joe Walker. Now, Joe, we finally got to meet in person. We've been doing these interviews over the last couple years via the phone, and this time, we actually got to sit down while he was at the Toronto International Film Festival for the film Widows. If you haven't seen the film Widows, I highly recommend it. It's a great film. I was saying to someone the other day, it's over two hours, and it felt like it was a tight 83-minute film. It just blew by. I was just gripped the whole time. It was a fun, great film. I highly recommend you check that out. But in the meantime, here's my interview with Joe Walker. So I guess to jump into it, the opening sort of goes from extreme to soft, extreme to soft, and it's almost texture-like. So I'm wondering how you approached cutting that scene and what the discussions were like with Steve McQueen.
0: Well, you know, we wanted a really confrontational opening and uh, the exhilaration and the kind of violence of a, of a heist gone wrong intercut with um, breakfast. <laughs> and also kind of it sets out the stall of introducing the widows and does it really economically it's very kind of quick but has this amazing shot from sean bobbit taken from the back of an escape vehicle so it was just trying to find the, the kind of little moments of inherent violence actually in their relationships there's a moment for example one of the i think the second cut of the film is from liam neeson in bed with his character Harry in bed with his wife Veronica played by Viola and he's just lurching forward at her when I kind of go into a cut and it's it's teasing and playful you know but it's in with the cut it's it makes it a kind of an inherent violence is brought out.
1: I felt like hers was the least I don't want to say abusive but it felt like the others had like uh, emotional abuse or physical abuse and hers was the least do you think that was sort of like a subtle?
0: Yes. Well, I mean, for example, we included quite late in the day, we changed the shot where she um, skips out of bed and she's smiling. And Mm. as a character, you know, she's badass in the film, but she has a lot of grief and damage to deal with um, as a consequence of her husband's death. But I remember it changed the kind of tone of that character to start her off, you know, happy. It's interesting, the arc of the characters is quite different And, you know, one of the most successful arcs, I think, is the character Alice, you know, Elizabeth Debicki. And, uh, you know, she goes from somebody... One of my notes. (laughs) Yeah, you know, she has an amazing trajectory. It's a very empowering, if you like, journey. She goes from being this kind of victim to being somebody who says, I'll I'll get where I want to go. I don't know, that was one of the most interesting trajectories of the film.
1: Well, it felt like it stood out. Like the others were all really
0: strong, but it felt like hers really stood out for some reason. Because I think she discovers that she's really good at this, you know, which is something that she hasn't done before. Mm -hmm. There's one moment, last night was really gratifying because there are big twists and turns in Mm -hmm. the plot. And these are very carefully engineered in the editing to kind of make them, render them as effective as they can be. But one of the kind of biggest reactions was a moment of triumph for the women. And somebody was saying to me in a car, you know, girls aren't used to seeing themselves get the money. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that was a heroic moment.
1: What's interesting is, so you talked about their arc of going from, in some cases, abused or emotionally abused to badass women. But what's interesting is you get that out of the way so quickly. I found the front is loaded with all this information really quickly. And then it's like, okay, now you've got the backstory. Here's the real story. And we sort of just jump right in and
0: push forward. Well, the natural pace of a heist movie, if you think about it, is just an accelerating pace towards a swift conclusion. I mean, that's the kind of pace of all of that genre. So, you know, with Steve, I've had the opportunity to play with kind of time structures and flashbacks and flash forwards and things like that. And there's a lot of depth to the characters that is revealed moment by moment and not necessarily in the order that they happened in real life. So we're kind of subverting that time structure to a degree, but an essential part of that was starting with a very arresting grab you opening sequence, which is remarkably short and i don't know it's a very effective way to start the film to me editing this thing is a large ensemble and you know it's a bit like the chinese play trick you want to give each character depth mm-hmm. and relevance and for the audience to be engaged in the process of assembling this crowd and seeing how they relate to each other and sometimes the connections don't appear actually until quite late in the structure so you know that's a quite a challenge it's a big challenge i think is glued together by viola but For the large part, it's an ensemble film. Did you find the structure was restructured a lot? Yeah, a lot. You know, to be honest, I mean, I think I've told you before in previous interviews that I put the scenes up on the wall as kind of little post-it cards and, you know, brief description, and it ended up looking like bingo numbers at the end, you know, sort of scene 9, scene 72, scene 6. Yeah, you know, it took a lot of work to get it right. Now, one of the things I noticed is
1: Steve McQueen has shots in there that are really long. And I think of when Alice is with her mother and her mother hits her, or I think of the car one is kind of obvious because it's showing us the transition of the area. But what I found was a lot of them, when it was with, particularly with the women, the emotion carries the shot and it doesn't feel long. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how you, when you're editing, determine when the emotion of a shot is enough or has enough weight behind it that it's going to carry a shot and allow you to sit on it longer than what an audience would expect.
0: Well, that's the thing, you know, isn't it? Steve is a director with a tremendous vision, but we're aiming for a broad appeal, commercially, hopefully successful piece of storytelling. So trying to kind of keep those signature moves and make them sparkle. You know, my favorite one, which, you know, we struggle with at one point it was out and then it was back in again, was that car scene Mm -hmm. with Colin Farrell It's basically, it's a politician driving from one location to another mm-hmm. and uh, you never go inside the car. You, mm-hmm. so you see you're trained, your eyes trained on the uh, landscape which is going from a very rough quarter mm-hmm. to an incredibly prosperous one where he lives. And all the while you're listening to the inner thoughts of somebody, some kind of really interesting stuff from Colin there mm-hmm. for his character about how he feels he isn't a natural politician and he just doesn't like the game and there's a feeling it always reminded me i don't know if this was steve's intention at all but it reminds me of that shot of the coach arriving where you hear donald trump's voice oh, yeah. grab them by the pussy yeah you have this kind of contradiction of image and sound mm-hmm. which is really engaging you know steve is attracted to wanners and he and sean have done some tremendous wanners in all of these films mm-hmm. and you know obviously hunger was the most you know that was the first film that i cut with him and that had a I think 17 and a half minute long shot where people are more or less in silhouette, but it's, it's one of those things where because you don't cut, always think that people are on the edge of their seat and they're part mm-hmm. of the game, you know, they don't want to drop the ball, they don't want to miss anything. And you also have a border put around something that makes it feel very real, mm-hmm. you know, because the editor isn't manipulating you. There's no score telling you what to feel. So, you know, there's, and there's some tremendous ones in this film. I mean, I always thought that yeah. Steadicam shot with the two boys rapping is an outstanding one.
1: I really like the car because there's a moment earlier where they reference, they're like, you don't even live in this town, you live a few blocks over or whatever, and this literally shows us that and yeah. it paints that for us and it reiterates that he's not a part of the community and I, so I just love that moment.
0: Yeah, it's a moment, I really love films where sometimes sound and picture separate, mm-hmm. I mean you know me and Steve always joke there was some times not particularly relevant to that shot but we always talk about we always say yeah let's we're going to get up to some real Nick Rogue shit <laughs> you always say Nick Rogue is a filmmaker who isn't that well known in North America but his films are outstanding I mean Don't Look Now and Eureka and um, Performance which is an amazing one but sometimes they were really bold with their editing not just in terms of cross-cutting time structures but also being prepared to kind of drift away you know sound and vision drifting apart and you can rub your tummy and pat your head at the same time as a filmmaker yeah now there was
1: many moments in the film where the violence was done Mm. off-screen I'm just wondering why you guys approached it that way was it shot that way or was it something you guys decided in the edit
0: Um, a lot of it decided in the edit there's a very kind of key one of those where a handicapped man is being stabbed and in fact you hear one of the first stabs off screen mm-hmm. and he's unaware of it and it's a kind of sick editing yeah. joke really yeah. to do that and there was the death of bash is something yeah. where they had all the material to show the full death but we chose to kind of rein that one in it was kind of worse to be off screen mm-hmm. you can imagine the violence very easily well
1: and the reason i was thinking of that was because you were talking about the sound and mm-hmm. so it's like you guys let our minds take the sound and run with it. So, like the stabbing off screen, I was kind of disturbed in that moment because he was just testing his leg. Yeah, he's
0: working his way up the guy's leg to yeah. find out where he's starting to feel. It's a very sick piece of violence, really. But I mean, that's, Chicago is a really violent city. So, <laughs> I don't think it's far from the truth. Now there was one thing I noticed in the film, and I don't know if you would know the answer to this, but there's a lot of
1: mirror shots of Mm -hmm. like the women reflected in the mirror in some way, and I was wondering if you knew why.
0: I asked Steve about that once, and he said he couldn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing. There's one of the first close-ups of Viola is is almost a double image when you see it on a high-quality screen, because they're shooting into kind of glass, Mm -hmm. and thought there's some really wonderful moments with Viola. I, I just love looking at them. I don't really know why they're there.
1: Well, and at the end, there's the post in the middle has a mirror, yeah. it, and you can see the two of them reflected.
0: In the cafe, that's yeah. a beautiful one.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really nice.
0: Yeah, the disconnection and seeing people separated is, mm-hmm. is amazing in that shot.
1: So one of my final questions, as you know, is usually what's your favorite guilty pleasure? But since this is a heist film, what would you say is one of your favorite heist
0: films? Oh, Lord. You know, I, I really loved Man on Wire, yeah. which I think of as a heist movie. Yeah. The documentary or the... The documentary, is James yeah. Marsh's film. It's really interesting because I loved what it didn't show. I mean, there's one shot, I think, where you see a plane and the Twin Towers, and it brings the whole thing flooding into your mind, but it doesn't explicitly say it. Yeah. But to me, it had the pace of a heist movie. Have you ever seen Rafifi? No, I should, shouldn't I? Yeah,
1: it's a heist movie, and it's all around sound. So, like, they want to rob this place, but they can't make noise because the alarm is noise-based. And so that's how do you rob a a diamond store without making noise?
0: I'm going to get it wrong which one it was, but there's also a brilliant Melville film, which has a stunning sequence where there's an alcoholic who's a sharpshooter, and he's hired... To disable an alarm—that's a great film. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some of your listeners will be able to kind of attack me for not being able to remember <laughs> it. But there's a brilliant moment where there's a guy. First time you meet him, there's kind of spiders crawling over him. He's yeah. going through DTS, but his big skill is being able to shoot some infinitesimally small button yeah. from hundreds of yards away. Yeah,
1: like, I can't imagine being a sharpshooter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for
1: letting me. It's in. So
0: nice to yeah. talk to you. Meet you yeah. at last. Yeah thank you so much and i really enjoyed the film oh i'm really glad i'm relieved
1: so that was my interview with joe i'd like to thank joe for allowing me to interview him i'd also like to thank carly mckeeding for cutting this episode i'm gordon burkell thanks for listening